calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about the Iranian hostage crisis. So grab your economic sanctions. And let's get civical. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I am <laughs> Lizzie Stewart. She's hanging on by a thread, you guys. And I am Arden Walentowski. Also hanging on by a thread, but more threads than me. I have more threads. You do Today have more I threads. I have more threads. I have I, more threads. I don't know. I am just tired. I'm like looking at my face and I, and it's drooping. Oh, no. It's Oh, no. <laughs> My face is drooping. I oh, don't no. know. I just, I must have not slept well. I don't know what it is. It's so dreary outside. It's, it's a, very dreary. It's dreary. It's t- I'm, I'm going to be drinking coffee throughout this episode. So if I suddenly pop off, let's say in the ne- in 20 minutes from now, it's because You've the coffee it. has kicked in. That's it. It's hit. It That's how it. you know it's hit. Yep. Um, but I yeah. am excited that you chose this topic for today. <laughs> I feel like when you sent it through, I was like, oh, we haven't, we haven't, no, we haven't properly covered it. We've talked about it no. in the, I think in our Jimmy Carter episode. Yeah. But we were obviously covering the Iranian hostage crisis. Yes. The big event that's kind of brought down the presidency of Jimmy Carter, depending on who you ask. Yeah. Who you ask. It I was, mean, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's kind of up to you if you want to take this to mean 
that this was a big shame on his presidency. You know? I don't think that's true. I don't think that's I'm true. I'm just saying that, like, it is, I think. Oh, I don't mean you personally, Lizzie. I want to be super clear. You don't. I don't either. To be fan. clear, Jimmy Stewart is like. Did you just say Jimmy Stewart? I did. To be clear, Jimmy Carter. I mean, okay, but also Jimmy Stewart is like, I love Jimmy Stewart. Grew up watching all of his movies. Totally. But to be clear, Jimmy Carter is like our, I mean, like best friend of the golden show. Golden best friend of the show. Yeah. Best friend of the show. I mean, best friend of the show. Like, my hero, still alive. Still alive. There was just a news alert that was like, he's been in hospice for like three months and he's still alive. Yeah. And that's the end of that news alert, because just wanted you all to know. It is. That does feel like how the news handles him. They, they're they literally just like, uh, and just just checking in. Just checking in. Yes, Jimmy Carter is still alive. Still alive. And we're all like, okay. Yeah. Go off, Jim. Go off. Yeah. So, yes. Today we're talking about the Iranian hostage crisis. Very uh, exciting Stuff. I mean, like, it's exciting in the sense of it's high action. I would say it's not exciting in the sense of, like, ooh, I'm thrilled that this is coming. <laughs> right, right, right. Mm-hmm. But it is it is a pretty profound, like, unfolding of events, this crisis. It is. But then also in the, like, I expected there to be, like, a real you know, explosive play-by-play. Mm. But essentially, I mean, I used a fair amount of sources, and I, I I will name them, of course, but it wasn't like a, and then on this date, Jimmy Carter did this, and then on this date, the Iranian, you know, militants did this, and then on this date, the American government did this. It's like, no, they basically held, you know, they held these people hostage. I mean, most of which were Americans because it was an American embassy, but at mm-hmm. first they also held hostage other Iranians and and then they just it just lasted 444 days and then eventually it was just over because Carter wasn't re-elected Reagan was elected and that was it <laughs> and that was that and that was it and, and then it was just over and and like the whole like the time period the whole time of the crisis you know Carter did stuff but it wasn't it didn't feel like a I don't know in reading the the like playback of it it didn't feel like a like a cuban missile crisis type deal do you know like yeah i feel as though and we'll get into it i feel as though the hostages because it was over the so many days like it ends up yeah at some point it becomes so long that it's just like okay this kind of is a new normal for a little bit of like we're in this hostage situation but it's not like the cuban missile crisis in the sense of the clock is ticking and at any moment our world could end. Right. But in this instance, it's at any moment, I guess these people could, could be killed. I assume is the, is the big concern is that they would kill the hostages. But again, after, after to me, after like day 10, day 15, I'm like, right. they're probably not going to kill the hostages. They're not going to kill. They're, right. They're not going to kill. Like what day, you know, 362, like, Oh, this is it. That's I've had it. enough of this. Yeah. We got yeah. We got to get to the notes so we can properly talk about our thoughts and feelings. But before we jump in, do you want to talk about your many sources for today? I will. Yes. I'd be happy to. So sources for today, history.com. We know her. We love her. Obviously. 
Big Help. White House Historical Association had a lot of background like leading up to the crisis because I had no idea. Yeah. How how did we get here? (laughs) What was going on in terms of the American Iranian relationship before then? And it turns out most Americans didn't either at the time. So, yeah. um, And it kind of turns out the like American government really didn't have a good (laughs) handle on. Iranian relations at the time either, which was part of the problem. Yeah. The National Archives had a great blog post by a man named Michael J. Hancock, which is very helpful, about Carter's handling of the hostage crisis and and the administration and just the kind of, like the the kind of just general strokes of of how they handled the the crisis. Um, And then, of course, Jimmy Carter's presidential library, because... I mean... How could you not? Come on. How could you not? We're only human. Um, we're only human. And they, I'm not, we're not going to list them all here because there were 66 people who were taken hostage during this crisis. And that would be a lot of people to name. Totally. But if you would like to know who they are, Jimmy Carter and the, the pres- his presidential library does a great job of, they have all their names listed and what their like positions were and like basically what they were doing in mm-hmm. the embassy because they, some of some people were released early mm-hmm. by the ho- hostage takers or the hostage yeah hostage takers um and so they kind of give you a timeline of like who was released when but yeah they do a great job of telling you who was who and what happened to them not that yeah go off presidential library Ooh, we gotta go we gotta go yeah, yeah. All right, let's start with a brief overview before we really get into the meat and potatoes of the crisis. So, on November 4th, 1979, a group of Iranian students stormed the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, taking more than 60 Americans hostage. Okay. The immediate cause of this action was President Jimmy Carter's decision to allow Iran's deposed Shah, a pro-Western autocrat who had been expelled from his country some months before, to come to the United States for cancer treatment. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I had, I had no idea. I knew I knew I knew we did something, and they were yeah. mad, and they were mad. Yeah. yeah, like literally mad at Jimmy Carter. That's it. Totally. Like, a peanut farmer. Like, they're mad at the peanut farmer. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Yeah. I just want to be like, hey, guys, it gets worse. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. It gets worse. It gets way worse. Like, if you don't like him, like, really sorry. However, the hostage taking was about more than just the Shah's medical care. It was also a dramatic way for the student revolutionaries to declare a break with Iran's past and an end to American interference in its affairs. It was also a way to raise the international profile of the revolution's leader, the anti-American cleric Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini. So, to summarize, these students who are pro this revolution, led by the Ayatollah, basically take hostage all these Americans in this embassy because they want to make a statement. And also because Jimmy Carter is like, yes, come get cancer treatment. In the United States. Yeah. Yeah. In brief. A very brief yes. overview. Yeah. I didn't, I forget that they're students. I do forget that. Like, I knew that, but I did forget. Yeah. And, and like, I think, you know, so I, I think I listed, I think I listed one, two, three, 
for there's five sources. One of the sources has a couple links, you know, I would say one out of the five calls them students. The rest call them militants. I I can't. I mean, it could be both. I, when you when you take when you take sixty people hostage for totally. more than a year, you, you're no longer a student of the world. <laughs> yeah, like student is like a, a word that you use to like let's soften this a little bit. Right. Like, well, I in, think it also indicates, um, to me at least, it indicates age. To use the word students, yes. it's like this, yes. these this, these are a yes. group of, of younger people, I would assume, between the ages right. of, what, 18 and 25, more or less. Right. Militant could be like... Well, militant, it could, I mean, well, it also could be mean like military in terms of like they've had military training, right. which maybe they had at some point. Right. Which, prob- which is pr- probably yeah. true. It sounds like they started off as students and ended as militants. As militants, yes. Yeah. So let's talk about leading up to the hostage crisis. Let's. Let's do that. Let's know from whence we came. So the beginnings of the Iranian hostage crisis started long before Jimmy Carter's term in office, almost by 30 years. And for that long, the United States had provided political support and more recently in that time of history, massive military assistance to the government of the Shah of Iran. So... We're supportive. We're 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 in there. We're all up in there. We're in there. We're already in there, supporting the military. Mm -hmm. We're a part of it. We're a part of it. We've got our hands, fingers in the cookie jar, in the cookie jar. Because who are we? America. We're America. We love to meddle. Yes, Iran was important because it provided oil to the industrial West and supported the Soviet Union from the Persian Gulf and the oil states. The United States had an enormous stake in keeping it stable and independent. Oh, I bet we did. Yes. Oh, I bet we did, and I bet we got a nice deal on oil by doing so. Yes. By 1979, however, when Carter had been in office three years, the Shah was in trouble, reaping the harvest of years of brutal and unpopular policies, including the use of secret police that controlled dissent with arbitrary arrests and torture. Okay, so not good. Not good. Not good. It's never good. When when the term secret police... It's not it's good. It's never good. You want all your police to be a known fact. Yeah. You don't want you don't want a secret police. That's, that's a big red flag for me personally. Big red flag. Mm-hmm. Big red flag. It was clear that the Shah had lost the support of his people, but the president hoped a coalition of the moderate opponents might be formed. The stability of the country, though, was being threatened by a religious fanatic, the Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini, who did not like the Shah's efforts to modernize and westernize a fiercely religious and fundamentalist society. Mm-hmm. So we've got a fracture within Iran. Yes. One who's trying to westernize. So there's a leader who's trying to westernize and who's working with the West and Wants to the Shah wants to modernize and also like and then, being a dick as well. Also being a dick, like like that kind of makes it maybe sound good ish if you're like okay with that and living there and like I don't know like there's there's that guy like sure. the Shah's trying to do those things mm-hmm. and also being a dick because he's got secret police. Yeah, <laughs> and then you've got the Ayatollah uh, who's a religious fanatic who like doesn't like those things and you know and that tension. doesn't. There's just tension there. Yeah. Obvious tension for obvious reasons. Yeah. 
Not good. So then in January of 1979, the Shah fled into exile Hmm. and the theocratic regime of Khomeini took power. There was little informed understanding in the U.S. government about the political implications of this fundamentalist regime. Interesting. So the Shah leaves because he's like... I gotta get out of here. They're gonna kill me, probably. They're gonna probably kill me. This fundamentalist guy, Khomeini, is not good. Yeah. And the U.S. government, for their own political and diplomatic dealings, doesn't understand what this turn means. Sure. Which is really interesting that we don't have, for for as, as, I guess, involved with Iran as we were at the time that yeah. like, and I guess it's also like, and we have, we have intelligence agencies at this point. It's like, how do you not have an understanding of like who the anti, you know, the opposition parties are in the place, especially a place like Iran where they had such a vested interest in its oil and it's, it being right a partner to the West. I'm like, well, how are not, you not assessing? Well, it's not clear to me, like, how quickly this guy, like, was he a known entity or did he suddenly come in? You know, like. I feel as though if you're able to run the Shah of Iran out of the country, regardless of if you are sort of working underground and maybe, like, the everyday person would not know, right. the CIA should know. If the CIA doesn't know, what are we, what are we doing? Or, or they maybe they knew, but like you know, how do you work with somebody then who's like a fun, like who doesn't, who's who's anti, who's anti the West? Like you well, are the West. I think that's the thing is that you you can't. That's the thing. Like how do you right? You can't. You need to because you need the oil and you have a history and you've got probably business deals. Mm-hmm. Like you've got existing structures and now here's this guy who wants nothing to do with you the guy who you were dealing with is has like up and left and yeah has you know on the one hand yes how do we not know but on the other hand i'm like i'm sure sometimes like other countries look at us and it's like where did these fundamentalists like evangelicals come how do we deal with these assholes like you know like you can't read like we can't reason with them within our own country so how do we expect you know like Australia to reason with them. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like Australia's what? like, I don't want to touch that with the 10 foot pole. I don't pole. want to touch that with the 10 foot pole. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. So the Shah has left. Khomeini has come into power. Um, and apparently the Carter administration has no real idea about how to go about navigating this change. So Gary Sick, who is on the national security staff during the Carter administration, recalled a meeting in which Vice President Walter Mondale asked the CIA agency director, Stansfield Turner, he says, quote, what the hell is an Ayatollah anyway? And Turner said he wasn't sure he knew. Yeah, so this is my problem. This is my problem. Is like, if you are the director of the CIA, it's your job to at least know what the Ayatollah is. Not what to do with him, not how to navigate him, but like, what the main players like? I feel I've, I'm getting a sense that there wasn't a strong grasp at to like the structure or whatever. And I'm just saying, if the CIA is, I'm like, what are you? You're the guys who are supposed to find out. 
Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, like, this whole scenario reminds me of that, like, what felt like the single day when the Taliban just completely retook control over um, Afghanistan in the matter of, like, mm-hmm. it wasn't a single day, but it was, oh, like, yes. you know, in the, in the course of a single oh, week, yeah. they're just, like, yeah, they were after like, the U.S. withdrawal, thank you. they took immediately yeah. took back over, and everybody yeah. was, like, ha, ha, what, uh, uh, how does how did this happen? Yeah. Wait a second. <laughs> Hold on. We we did all this stuff. We ha- we were here. That's what this feels like. The sense of like, wait, what do you mean the Shah's yeah. gone? We've been investing in this regime for decades and it's just gone. So it just feel it, it makes me feel like we're flat on our feet. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So continuing on with the sort of history and what led us to the hostage crisis so now we have the ayatollah in power the shah is exiled so in the beginning of the ayatollah's regime the carter administration made some effort to establish a relationship with the new government but by late 1979 it seemed futile not surprising considering they're very anti-west Up until the crisis, few Americans seemed aware of the deep resentments that many Iranian people continued to harbor towards the United States, a country they considered a symbol of Western intrusion into their society. Part of the problem, as we said at the top, stemmed from the desire of the Shah in October of 1979 to come to New York City for cancer treatment Many Iranians remembered a time in 1953, 20 years prior, when the prime minister of Iran had challenged the authority of the Shah, who in turn fled the country. However, with the help of the CIA-supported coup, the monarch's power was restored. So they got rid of the Shah, and then the Shah came back with the help of the United States. Most likely because they wanted the Shah in place as the head of the government so that they could continue their relationship of most likely getting a good deal on oil. Getting a good deal. I mean, this is meddling. We're meddling. Some big time. Oh, yeah. We're meddling. There's no, there's no, we're making no bones about it. Carter understood that if he allowed the deposed Shah to come to the United States for his cancer treatment, Khomeini's government would interpret the move as another example of the West's arrogant interference in Iran's affairs. Though Carter understood it was a politically volatile decision, he permitted the Shah to come based on a long alliance and, quote, humanitarian principle. Basically, Jimmy Carter's like, look, the dude's sick. I'm not going to say he can't come and get treated. He's ill. Jimmy's basically like, this This is this goes above politics. Like, this is this is a guy who needs medical treatment. I'm not making a statement on his political anything. The guy's dying. Right. After the decision, American diplomats in Iran met with the prime minister of the Ayatollah's government to test reactions to the president's decision. Though deeply opposed to the United States move, the prime minister gave assurances that the Iranian government would protect the safety of diplomatic personnel in Tehran. So basically we say, Jimmy's like, okay, I'm going to let the guy come. Then all the diplomats in Iran go to the prime minister and like, hey, just so you know, this is coming out. What do you think? 
Temperature check. You mad? Prime Minister's like, yes, we're mad. But like, we're not going to do anything crazy. But we're mad. Yeah. But you're safe. Then, of course, on November 4th, 1979, Iranian students slash militants stormed <laughs> the United States Embassy in Tehran and took approximately 66 Americans captive. This terrorist act triggered the most profound crisis of the Carter presidency and began a personal ordeal for Jimmy Carter and the American people that lasted four hundred and forty four days it was very long 400 days it was very long that's long it's very long yikes my yikes yeah the more moderate iranian prime minister resigned in protest and khomeini was in full control i mean dun 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 yeah. I, I I mean this this to me makes sense. There's no like how did we get here? Uh right. it's so clear how we got here. It's very clear how we got here. It's very clear. It's very clear. I mean yeah. I mean part of, I mean I feel bad for Jimmy Carter because having such great love for him, I just feel like he was like, Oh this man just wants to not die of cancer. Totally. Sure. Like, come. Yeah. Come to the States. We have good cancer treatment. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the difference you between. Probably have none. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the difference between a reasonable and an unreasonable person. Right. You know, it's like by allowing him to receive medical treatment, is that condoning anything that somebody has against him? Like that, I guess that's the question. And to obviously the Ayatollah and maybe even a lot of Iranian people, yes, that is that is bad. That is bad. And that does condone. Right what he did or has done again i don't know what he did in his regime so like maybe he was a super asshole and maybe he shouldn't have gotten medical treatment i don't know but i do trust my boy jimmy to do the right yeah. thing. i think he was just trying to do the right thing yeah i think he felt bad for the guy i was like sure yeah. come on over yeah yeah but that said yeah this really i think the i think the problem with this and i don't know if we get into it in the next section but i think the problem with jimmy's response to this crisis is not necessarily like the fact that a crisis happened like i don't think that people fault him for like saying yes come get cancer treatment and it like caused this crisis i think what people fault him for is the fact that it took 400 days to resolve right like that makes right, us right, look right. weak like we can't resolve this in four in this should have been 24 hours and we should have shown like the full force of the united states and you know that whole thing um and I think people felt like it made us look weak. Not saying that's what I think, but I'm saying I think that's why he gets so much flack for this. Yeah. It is a crazy long time. It is a crazy long well, time. Well, I'm also like, were they just being, were they given meals and stuff? Like, <laughs> I know that's, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like the, I mean, well, the next part we'll talk about like what happened oh, okay. during the crisis, okay. but it's all just a, but, but it's just really from like, like what Jimmy Carter did, like there's no like, I mean, I'm sure there's like, maybe there's somebody who wrote like a autobiography of their time during. No, I that has to be. Well, Argo there's is Argo be, the it, film that's about the Iranian. Oh, that is Argo. That is Argo. But I also was like, were they just literally sitting in the in the embassy the whole time? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I yeah. One okay. would assume. 
One would assume. One would assume. For uh, for over a year. For mm-hmm. over for 400 days. So many days. Oh, so many days. And like, do they get new clothes? So do they days. shower? Do they, you know. I'm very invested. <laughs> very invested. Very invested. So let's talk about what actually happened during the crisis. So during the crisis, President Carter committed himself to the safe return of the hostages while protecting U.S. interests and global influence. He pursued a policy of restraint that put a higher value on the lives of the hostages than on a U.S. retaliatory power. So he's like, I want to get the people home rather than, you know, get revenge on these yeah, like bombing the shit out of then, and bombing Iran. the shit out of them. Yeah. I, right, like I. That's let's get the people home. Mm-hmm. A spectrum of responses were deployed, including direct appeals, economic sanctions, and a military rescue mission. The toll of patient diplomacy was great, but President Carter's actions eventually brought freedom for the hostages. Carter exerted pressure on the Iranian government by imposing economic sanctions that were intended to be severe yet incremental. It served as a warning that the United States could escalate to other options, including military force, if needed. Carter eventually approved a hostage rescue mission, but it failed, and the aborted mission seemed to many Americans as a symbol of U.S. military weakness in the post-Vietnam era. Yeah. I mean, he just really stepped in a pile of shit. I know. Like, he just... And then he couldn't do anything right. Right. You know, so then, yeah, I feel like that's why people are just see Jimmy Carter as like a weak president because he just kept like, yeah, just kept, it's like two left feet the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's been said that there were two White Houses at the time of this crisis, one that was resolute in freeing the hostages and one that dealt with everything else. Aside from the Iranian hostage crisis, the Carter administration faced foreign and domestic matters that included an energy crisis, peace talks with Egypt and Israel, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, and a disaster at the nuclear facility at Three Mile Island in Pennsylvania. Like, I mean, also, there was just like a ton. I mean, like, every presidency has like a ton of stuff going on. Like, there's no quiet presidency. Like, you know, but all like just it was a ton of stuff. He had some. he, He stepped in some shit. Mm-hmm. You stepped in some shit. Yeah, not not like not the Iranian cr- hostage crisis and a nuclear disaster. All right, the same. All in the same like time. campaign year. No, right. No. During President Carter's last days and weeks in office, he poured every effort into freeing the hostages. Carter remarked later that quote, "Of course, their lives, safety, and freedom were the paramount considerations, but there was more to it. I wanted to have my decisions vindicated." It was very likely that I had been defeated and would soon leave office as president because I had clung to a cautious and prudent policy in order to protect their lives during the preceding 14 months. Before God and my fellow citizens, I wanted to exert every ounce of my strength and ability during these last few days to achieve their liberation. Right, because he's probably like, if I do something really forceful, they could They're gonna kill, kill them. <laughs> right, yeah. so like... I need to be strong, but not stupid. Yeah. Like, they've got 60 Americans. Yeah. So what happens if I do something big and they're like, okay, bang, 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 bang. Yeah. And now he's got 60 dead Americans on his... Yeah. Like, that. Like then then what would they have said about Jimmy Carter? Yeah. No, it's, you know? it's true. It's true. I so. think I think he just stepped in a pile of shit. Yeah. And there yeah. was no 
other than like the rescue mission going right, like there was no way to do this and and win. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. Of the 66 who were taken hostage, 13 were released on November 19th and 20th, 1979. One was released on July 11th, 1980. And I think she, they were, that person was sick. I read this on the um, mm. Jimmy Carter's like library website. That, I think that person was sick and ended up being diagnosed with like multiple scler- sclerosis oh later. Yeah, like that person was sick. Oh, God. So, like, Imagine like going through the crisis and then being <sighs> diagnosed. Ugh. And being like, right. And like being like really sick yeah. and not being, right. But it also just goes to show you like these people were not like wholly without souls or what you know like they let this person go well to get i mean treatment. kind of fun funnily enough it's like it goes back to the shaw thing right right it's like okay we're not going to keep somebody here who's clearly needs medical attention you know like right it, it's that it's that question of like does needing medical attention supersede attention. right other things like do you have like right. a unspoken social contract with other human beings to provide right. aid right you know, it's like it's like the amnesty rules of like we right. all agree on the rules of warfare, which is you gotta let me tend to my wounded. Right. When they were first taken, some there were some Americans who escaped. For three months they were sheltered at the Canadian and Swedish embassies in Tehran. On January twenty eighth, nineteen eighty, they fled Iran using Canadian passports. The rest of the hostages were released, which were fifty two, fifty two hostages. Everybody else was released. On January 20th, 1981, like, right after Ronald Reagan took office. Yeah. Like, not even after he was elected. Like, he took office, and then the, the militants were like, okay, bye. Okay, you can have them. <laughs> you can have them. We were mad at Jimmy Carter, so. Yeah. But I do, I, I thought I remember, and I could be just simply trying to um, advocate for the memory of Jimmy Carter, but I thought he did continue, like, I thought the... They were released because of the work that Jimmy Carter continued to do on their behalf in negotiating for them, like through his lame duck session. Or was it because the election of Ronald Reagan that the Iranians were just like, everything that I read was like the minute he was not president, they released him. They released their hostages. Well, you should have said something before, (laughs) Ron. Yeah. We would have let Walter, Walter Mondale be the president. It could be it could be true that like he was doing all of this work and that he that is just as coincidental. But it, I mean, it, everything that I read was like, and I solemnly swear to take the oath of president. Mm-hmm. Boop a doop. Okay, and on your way you go across the pond back to your home. Yeah, yep. it's so like again. This is obviously more looking uh, on back on this event that happened fifty years ago, give or take. Um, it's so funny to me. That the 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 big bag wolf of Iran was Jimmy Carter. Yeah. <laughs> right. So just so like, odd. I'm like, oh my god. Hindsight really is 2020. <laughs> yeah. It really it really can and did get worse. Um, for us all, for us all. And how fun yeah. is that? But that is our episode on the Iranian hostage crisis. As always, if you like what you heard, you could find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. As always, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us. We love you so, so much, and we will see you next Wednesday. 
Goodbye.